Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. J.J. Cooper, John Manuel, Kyle Glazer here today. We're going we're gonna to take a one-day pause from our run through the AL Central because it is a, there's a new CBA. And <laughs> the, a pretty big day. The, the details are still being worked out, and we will obviously talk about some of the ramifications from the things that we know so far. Before we get to that, though, I, I do think that it's worth just us stopping for a second and looking big picture at just how significant this is. And John, you tweeted about this some last night, but Kyle, you're actually, uh, we're old. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. We, we are products of an age. Our formative years of baseball basically were owners and players going at each other. I mean, pretty much trying to rip the throat out of yeah. the other side. I mean, our formative years in baseball were like, and when you started working here, it's like, you better read Lords of the Realm, <laughs> and you better read Marvin Miller's biography, and you better read, you better read up on labor and, and on labor I believe strikes. it was seven different stoppages or at some, of some type from yeah, 82 from ni- to 95, 72 to 95, yeah. so 22 years, seven, seven stoppages. It's not a great never, ratio. There was never a CBA that ended for 25 years that didn't end with, that didn't include either a lockout or a strike. And now we're going to have the same period of time with no lockout or strike. And meanwhile... The three other major sports, no offense hockey, I mean, not soccer, but uh, I should have said no offense hockey. But I was going to say, soccer is a major, much more major sport. Out of the, out of the three Ouch. major sports Ouch. of the two peripheral ones, the two, that, the are, the two that are in the outer rim, um, the, the other sports have had labor problems, well, and they, they've had stoppages, and they still have labor issues. Well, as JJ and I discussed on that most recent podcast, that was part of the reason when we were looking at this, and it was after the report when owners were saying, oh, we might lock it out. You know, it made no sense. And baseball just doesn't have the same issues these other sports have had with, you know, hockey and the NBA, which did lock out, which have had major issues over, you know, the core issue of basketball-related income, hockey-related income. And the NFL, which hasn't lost any games since 87, 
But we all know they got really, really close here a few years ago with the labor negotiations that were much more contentious than really anything we've seen in baseball. It's going to sound weird, but I want—I don't want to say in my lifetime because I was alive for the <laughs> 1994 much, strike. But, I mean, look, I'm not some spring chicken. I mean, I'm pr- approaching 30. <laughs> I'm married. I'm a homeowner. Like, And even I have no memory of baseball not being played because in 1994 I was – Six years old. Right. Yeah. We have an entire generation of adult baseball fans who, thankfully for them, correct, have never gone through. The closest we came was because of all the past history in 02. I mean, I, I, I've told this story to Kyle and people on the podcast heard it, so I'll keep it very brief. But I had just started at Baseball America in 02. And I remember thinking, and as we got close to the CBA, kind of, what have I done? Yeah. Why? Why have I? Because you were also working here with a guy at the time who will remain nameless, but who may as well have been Chicken Little because the guy yeah. always thought the sky was falling. He thought Baseball America was on the cusp of bankruptcy <laughs> every minute, but, and that the whole sport was going to come crashing but, down. But and but the reality it is is that Baseball America was hurt in '95 by absolutely. And so, why, why would a I lot of industry related yeah. you know, publications and businesses? I mean, there's obviously ramifications beyond just the game itself whenever right. this happens. So I remember thinking, why have I left the security of working in newspapers <laughs> where the jobs you know just last forever to come to Baseball America? And that's that, good. That, that's worked you know, out I, pretty d- well. I do remember 2002 um, being in Southern California. Obviously, the Angels were having this great run, and up to that point, the Angels were this cursed franchise where everything went wrong. It looked like the year they finally were doing something great, yeah. it might end early. And I remember, I believe they were playing the Rays, and it was late August because it was around the time of my birthday. And I remember fans started throwing things on the field in Anaheim because the deadline was coming. People were legitimately nervous. I was legitimately nervous, but luckily it didn't come to pass. And, and you're right. I mean, I think there's this maybe, I don't know, taking it for granted, but we're talking about people like me who are in their – well, late 20s who are now increasingly becoming the customers of Major League Baseball or yeah. people working in and around it who have no memory of lockouts or strikes <coughs> or negotiations getting really, really ugly. So I think that it's a healthy thing for Major League Baseball to keep that up because I always Definitely. heard these stories of, you know, most of my friends' parents who say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give them any more money. And, you know, some people obviously spoke in hyperbole when they said that at the time. But I've seen it be true to the point where these people who maybe used to be really, really interested and did put down the money to go to 10, 20 games a year and get invested, now they'll take their kid to a game or two, but that same level of passion, that desire, which does translate into dollars and cents, was lost for a very significant group of adults, I feel now age you know, 40 to 50 to 60, where really those people are now the ones with the most disposable income who could afford to really put their money towards games. and It just would have been a disaster to follow up that World Series and those ratings and the momentum the team that the sport has. Yeah. Because there's every sport has its every every sport has its problems, industries have their problems. But there's a lot of positive momentum for Major League Baseball. It would have been a would have been poor form to follow that with uh, even with a lockout like the way Ben uh, Battler and I and Ben's on some calls this morning also he would have joined us too. But I talked to him yesterday before the agreement and he was just saying how he thought the lockout was bunk. The players aren't paid in the offseason. There's no – the union had the leverage in Ben's mind. And so I'm going to try to spin us forward a little bit. It's cause I agree with Ben that with the timing, the momentum in the sport, I thought the union had some leverage. And yet I feel like the union 
did not get a lot in this negotiation. I don't want to make it a win-lose all the time, but I thought the luxury tax threshold would move a little higher. It didn't. It's, well, fa- it's moving up, but it's not moving up by they, a significant amount. And again, it? the details are still literally right. in fact, but, but one of the things that does seem to happen is, is that the multiplier penalty yeah, is not going to be there. Right. So you being over the luxury tax, you're still going to pay, but it's not something where in the under the old system there was a very strong incentive that if you were over it, like the Yankees for multiple years in a row, that if you could get right. under it, then it would change significantly what you if you went back over it again. That seems to have gone away. So that is one thing that... And, and, and to I mean, be honest, can, I think we focus, because of the nature of what we do, is a lot more focused on the draft side of things. But to be honest, the number one issue for the players' union, which they did get fixed, was the qualifying offers. These guys hated that a team could offer them $17.2 million, and if they wanted a long-term deal, they'd turn it down. And then a lot of cases will be stuck on the free agent market, eventually having to take a two-year, $10 million deal. So right. for me, the fact that they now, reportedly can only get one qualifying offer. They can't just be qualifying offered over and over and over again. Yeah, so the the, fact horror, that the t- horror of $17.2 million but for the, Matt Wieters. But, but I also understand <laughs> the, the idea. Yeah, I also understand the idea of, you know, for these players wanting long-term security as opposed to every yes. year having to move their families, not knowing if they're going to get a deal. And right. the second part of that is now the trade-off, if you will, for teams that sign these free off free agents that have a qualifying offer, it's no longer such a hamper to them. They're not losing first-round right. picks. They're losing... Third rounders, if they're not over the luxury tax, which makes up 25 of the 30 major league teams, and for the other five, a second rounder, a fifth rounder, and a million dollars in international money, it's significant. But that's still really not going to deter them from signing. Hey, if I want, you know, three or four years from now, Mike Trout's a free agent, they're going to give that up for him. So I think I, for I the players, luxury. they I, I, want that, and I, that's all that. That's really the issue they wanted. And as far as I'm concerned. Everything else was kind of ancillary to them. So I think the I think the luxury tax threshold is a bigger issue because that's a small pool of players. Whereas that luxury tax, it affects a lot more players when the Yankees and the Dodgers and the big market teams can bid on the stars. Correct. And if those teams can't bid on the stars, then you cannot drive it up that star the price. That's right. It depresses the whole market. Right. I think that actually affects more players. I do think that that was a significant issue for the union. Um, JJ and I talked about this before we just started the podcast, uh, just about how you know, draft picks are even tied how, to free agent compensation in any way, like why that is. I didn't realize that was true in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow the NBA a lot more closely among the other sports. I, I don't know if it's tied in the hockey. I mean, I don't, it's not. But it, it seems strange to have, still to me, to have free agent compensation tied to the draft. Um, I do like that it helps those qualifying offer players, but, I, you know, it did seem like it affected a small number of players overall, but I, yeah, I'm just not a fan in general of the cap draft, uh, the cap bonus uh, bonus pools. I just think that, that you should that's allow the, the that's the biggest. The, what, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it just in general. I don't think you know, let the teams decide how important, how much to spend on research and development. And it does seem I I, saw, I, I think I'm I might misquote Joe Sheehan. I think I saw Joe Sheehan tweet this last night that. Um, Essentially, if you take the bonus pools for domestic and now international, and you do that as a percentage of MLB's revenue, you're basically spending like four to five percent of revenue on research and development, talent acquisition. That's a pretty small portion. So I think I think a five million dollar cap internationally is That's too low, as Ben has articulated very well. And I think that I, I I would much rather see the the major league teams in the draft, in the domestic draft, also have. 
uh, here you all have the same amount or uh, less of a spread. I really hate that. Something like this year, like the Royals. Hey, they signed a free agent to try to repeat as World Series champions. You get the second largest bonus pool. That, second that's smallest. Second smallest, I'm going to say. That they, is not, they, they that is not competitive from... balance. It's not. It's it's artificial competitive balance. No, and, I, and I agree. And these are issues that do need to be further addressed and do need to be worked out. And I think there's been a lot of... Um, but they're not going to be worked out for five years. Right. But, but and again, I think it goes back to, at the end of the day, we're talking about guys who are on 40-man rosters only. Talking about, you know, we talk about the international draft. That still makes, I, up, that makes up 27% of the player pool on the 40-man rosters. So the 72% of domestic veterans who make up 40-man rosters, that's just never going to be their priority. Their priority but, 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 is no, the free agents. I, I disagree. Is the free agents. I disagree. Yeah, I, I, we saw the MLB's big push. One of their big pushes in this was the international draft. Right. And we saw... They caved on that. But the funny thing about it is that they caved, and I almost feel like that it was something where they caved, and then when it's all said and done, you're going to look back and go, really, what did... If you're on the if you're on the player side and the players were adamant, they had players coming flying in to speak against the international draft, and then what they get in return and instead is yeah, it's not an international draft. You do get to pick your team. Congratulations on that. But you have had players who get more than the five million that roughly five million that every team is now limited to. And let's just be flat out honest about this. Not every team's going to spend $5 million. Oh, yeah. And the lower the pools are, as Ben wrote, the more you open up to corruption and teams under-the-table deals. So the higher pools, uh, Ben articulated it very well at BaseballAmerica.com, the higher pools make more sense if you really, if you're... No, I completely agree. Right. I, I know not to argue about that, but like the, the, if your aim for Major League Baseball, which they've been saying... Is to clean up this wild, wild west. That wasn't the, but that's and that the was bait and switch. That was PR, and that was exactly what Ben wrote. They didn't really want to clean things up. They just wanted cost certainty, cost containment, and that as they've done in the domestic draft, they just wanted to keep the stars from making real money. And you had it with the bonus pools in 2011, Kyle. I don't think you would have had the draft pools the way they were if you didn't have right before that. The Royals spend seventeen million dollars in a draft, or the uh, uh, the Nationals, the Pirates. But those teams got their money's worth. They benefited. That's where Garrett Cole and Josh Bell came from for the Pirates. That's where the Nationals got Strasburg and Harper. Uh, that's where the Royals built their teams in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, but, I just I don't I don't understand why Major League Baseball thought that low bonus pools were the right answer, except for. The owners wanted to spend and, and a that, lot less that, money, and that is and that it's is lame. the driving force between a lot of you know a lot of what they're going to do. This is a you know business base, and you, know, you talk right, about you talk about the star, star, star contracts for a lot of the players, especially the further away they get from their amateur days. Their main priority is going to be how am I getting paid now at age twenty nine, thirty, when I've been in the major leagues for six or seven years as opposed to the 18-year-old kid. Now, a lot of them do have, yes, I remember that, I want to try and help them, but when it comes to the bargaining table and what matters the most to the 40-man membership in the room, it's going to be what helps them no, now. No, there's no question about that, but at, this is not 1994 or 2001. This is the fourth straight uh, right. CBA with labor peace and the union had made a lot of noise about representing those players, about standing up for the rights of those players. 
So it, I, I do think it was a, a little disappointing that they, again, both sides made this kind of noise, but in the end, the compromise that was that we're left with, and it was a compromise, winds up being, again, kind of selling those players out a little bit. I don't, you know, I think that the, the union should take play, take care of 40-man rosters first and foremost, but that doesn't, a 40-man roster players, but that doesn't mean these things are being negotiated Someone has to have the rights of those players in mind. It should be the union. The, the two things that also stand out with that to me, you know, one, they've essentially just codified that what they've said is, I don't care how good a player you are if you're in on, on the international market. If you're an international amateur, you are not worth as much as the top draft players. The top draft players right. are, but not even just allowed Basically, the system is set up now to almost ensure that they're going to get, the top player in the draft is going to get 6 or $7 million at least, and that number is going to go up. Right. And now they've said the same player, if, if you took the same player and he is available internationally, if you took, again, if you took basically Mickey Mantle came out of Cuba next week, hmm. doesn't exist right now, but if there's a player of that talent, if Mike Trout showed up, and he's an, a 19-year-old, or he's a 16-year-old Dominican. Or 19-year-old Cuban. Or 19-year-old Cuban. Yoan Mancata, who got 31.5 mil, not counting the penalty. What they've said now is, is you are not worth right. as much as a draft pick. And the other thing with that is... is and you can all, you're never going to have a team. No team internationally can do kind of like, well, the Astros. Well, we botched this Brady Aiken thing. Hey, they were right about it. He got hurt. But when that goes sideways, well, the next year we'll just spend six and a half million on Bregman, four million on Kyle Tucker, and four million on Daz Cameron. No, no, no team could do that internationally. And Daz Cameron can be worth four million dollars, but a Latin American. If you spend four million but on a Latin American, can't be worth four point two. Exactly, because if he is four point two five, forget the rest of your bonus pool. Forget the rest of your international class. You have seven hundred fifty thousand dollars for the whole rest of your class. So I'm really not a fan of the pools. I'm not a fan of the hard caps. And as Ben, Ben really, again, Ben puts more thought into this than any of us. And he talks to so many people about it. And he articulated it so well of why the higher pools make more sense. But you are going to have these teams. And there are a lot of teams, whether it's the Marlins, the Orioles, or two that stick out, Angels in recent years, that aren't active in Latin America, are behind, are always a step or two behind. I mean, I think the most money... The Orioles have spent on Dominican amateur player is Ofelki Peralta $350,000. They'll never spend $5 million under this current ownership and current general manager. It's just not going to happen. But I think that's it, and that's why I also personally like the higher bonus pools where the teams have the choice. Where, hey, we can say... We feel like this is our path to success and spend eleven, twelve million dollars. Five million dollars is they, not higher. No, and I, I know, yeah. and I agree. And that's why I'm saying that's why I keep going back to, you know, we talk about oh, the players set up for the rights. They they're gonna put themselves first, which isn't necessarily wrong, and that's where you saw, oh, well, okay, we're gonna raise the international a little bit, and domestic's not gonna change. And that's because that's why I'm saying that's not their party. They can talk right. about it, but, but actions speak but louder see, than words. The one words. thing is when you say they're gonna true. raise it a little bit. I know that they raised it from the from what the intention what was. the intention was, but they actually cut it. They actually cut what was actually spent. They're they're right. cutting what is being spent because the what you've met, but the other thing that I also found baffling about this, and again, the final details are still being worked out. Which is also not baffling, but it's just surprising the more you read about this that yeah, they just kinda come in and Here's our memorandum of understanding, but the details, we'll flesh those out a little bit but later. Let's take, if you are Yoan Mankata, 
And to give an example, but let's say Mankata is a 20 year old. And he's, pick some wine named Dodger. Okay. But <laughs> I'm just, yeah. Yaziel, yeah, I'm which just picture, making, yeah. yeah, but whatever it is, you, if you have a 20 year old Cuban, 21 year old Cuban especially, under this, if the same under 23 restriction holds, mm -hmm. what you've just said is you are better off biding your time for two to three years because the difference of how much money you can make. We know that a Yoan Mankata talent is essentially valued. And by the way, under this with the hard caps, I would say we've always seen the more restrictions there are on spending, the more money flows to where it's unrestricted. Yeah, that's it, right. The, the reason Yoan Mankata got essentially the Red Sox cut a $62 million check, $63 million check to get Yoan Mankata was you can't spend that. You were, had a limit to how much you could spend on the draft, mm -hmm. and you had some sort of limits that were seen at the time to be more limiting than they ended up being on international. So, hey, this is a chance we can do this. We're going to do it. Well, what's going to happen is, is that the difference between a 22-year-old international, you know, a Cuban player, and a 23-year-old could literally be the difference between, yeah, we can offer you three, right. or we can offer you 40. Exactly. I mean, it's, really, it's a massive difference. And again, they really want to keep the star, the earning power of the outliers is who these limits are aimed at. It's not aimed at the rank and file. They're so the about 100,000 here, 100,000 there, 100,000 there. But I, think that, but I also think the idea is making sure they get that money through performance at the in the at the major league level, as opposed to banking on, because that's where the cost certainty comes in for owners. We've seen time and time right. again, owners don't mind at all shelling out hundred million, hundred fifty million for players who, frankly, are fine but not great. We saw Jason Castro, who's hit two fifteen yeah. the last you know three years, sign a twenty five million dollar deal for Minnesota, a small market team. There has never been a concern about. Spending money on major league talent, at least in, million, in, in, in this era of years, labor going, peace. Eight million dollars a year is the going rate for a regular. No, I mean, so that was that was John Jay yesterday. He's not even a regular; he might be a backup well, in Chicago. He was doing fine at the point. I was going to say eight million. Point, that's what. That's no, what no I agree, about. but that's what I'm saying is so owners will shell out money yep. for established veterans. It's the idea that why am I shelling out, you know, eight, nine, ten million dollars for a 16 year old who, with the way boys' bodies grow, I mean it. it to their, I can also see that it makes no sense for them to do that, but then they feel like if they don't, they does. get. But well, but I can see the mindset of it. But the data—that's the—that's the thing—is that this is a data era, and major league owners will do at the major league level what their GMs tell them when the data shows it. But for some reason, they won't do that in amateur player acquisition, and that's the part that surprises me because the data really does tell you if you. I mean, again, pirates. Uh, Royals, Nationals, how those teams really turned themselves around. The money, they picked high. They spent a lot of money in the but, draft. They were active in the draft. But the money there, you just spelled it out. What you said is, is like, John Jay is $8 million. The amount of money that you spend unrestricted before this all on international and the draft is so minimal. Right. You, you literally, Jason Castro's contract, you could spend $25 million internationally and in the draft and that's a, that still is a massive amount. The Braves went on a massive spending spree this year. Yeah. They got Montan and they got many Padres. <laughs> the Padres went on a massive spending spree. And those massive spending sprees are the same amount of money. Middle East in one year, not spread out over four or five. But that the amount of money is less than you would spend to land the 
Ian Kennedy's of the world. Yeah, it's amazing. and that's the amazing part is that I think Ron Fowler of the Padres also was on this uh, negotiating committee. Uh, that, he's on one of the. I'm pretty sure he's so, so. you're the guy who's the was he the team president of the? Uh, he's the executive chairman. Executive chairman of the yes. Padres. And you just spent like. 40, 50 it's, million? It's, it's, it's at present because the signing period is still technically right. active. It's, it's 30 million plus on the contracts alone. Then you add in the 100% penalties, it adds up to 60, 60 <laughs> mil so, or so. So they just $60 million in outlays for, on the international market this offseason or this, this calendar year, and he's sitting there limiting himself. This is what his general manager, this is why he hired his general manager. It wasn't for his uh, clean living or ethics. Because it's his twice suspended general manager, that's why he hired the guy, and now he's and he just put him shackles on him. Well, I don't, I and, really and, and don't again, understand. I think that. it's because, and you go back to it, there is a mindset of, hey, I'm totally fine shelling out money for a proven right. major league caliber player. I'll spend 125 million dollars on the rotten shell of Josh Hamilton, <laughs> but don't, don't, don't. I will not allow a team to spend seven million dollars. On international talent, that, I understand I, the mindset. I'm right, criticizing I'm saying, the mindset. No, and I, I agree. I'm not defending the mindset at all, but yeah. I'm saying that that is present. And that's why I don't understand how that mindset exists, continues to exist in this data era, because the data really does show you that those investments at the amateur level make a really pay off. Well, I would say they they, they, they can pay off. There's they can never, pay off a lot more than four years, $125 million on Josh Hamilton. Five can. years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or three years and $24 million on Jason five, Castro. Five, five years, $50 million on Gary Matthews Jr. Yeah, that's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. That you, we know that the but, data but I think, will show but you. I, but I also think you go back, look, there's good contracts and bad contracts at the major league level. There's good contracts and bad contracts at the amateur level. And just the amateur as, ones just as hurt you a lot less. If you miss two million dollars on a first round pick, that's Steph Cameron may not be worth that four million dollars. Right, but it's four million dollars. It's four million dollars. It's not one hundred twenty-five. Right. So no, and uh, I, there, there were some other interesting changes uh, um, that also happened. I, I don't think it was a big deal last night, but All Star Game no longer deciding a home field advantage. Who, you guys see who's that? against this? Well, you know that this one actually I, I, was. I saw Adam Kilgore was against it. Adam this one's Kilgore actually for it. interesting to me because this was of all the whispers and things we were hearing. This yeah. was not something that exactly. was being talked about, and all of a sudden it happened. So I'm curious when this really started, what the driving force was, because before this thing that you know pundits would talk about once a year in July, and then once again in October, right. and then we'd never hear anything about it. This time it counts. Right now. All this almost came out of the blue. This was never rumored to be happening. So I'm really curious once we get up to the winter meetings to start talking to players and owners and general managers about, okay, what was the thinking behind this? Why make this change? What, from your but standpoint, that's what was interesting to me is made, like, made this happen. But my, my point, though, is, is that it is hard. I'm, when I say, I'm sincere when I say, it is hard to find anyone nowadays who actually thinks. Well, the corporate partners probably really liked it because the corporate partners are the ones who wanted to know. This is what they kept saying. We want to know where the World Series is going to be. So when the World Series, when the eight teams start in the playoffs, or ten teams, you know the World Series is going to start on this day in one of these five American League cities or National League cities. Oh, then it's down to four. As, you know, you know, and those, and and that is that was their reasoning for wanting to know. And again, I I love the Boris idea of you could have if you have a nine game World Series or you had the first two games were neutral site, so you did know. And that, that is the reason why the corporate sponsors who underwrite a lot of this, mm-hmm. uh, uh, of the financial health of Major League Baseball, they want to know where they're going to be. And that, so that's why you do it for, for those people who are cutting the checks. 
So I, I think the main reason it went away was the person who liked this the most is no longer commissioner. And that, that's, that, I think that's the number one reason. Uh, the other one that I think is really going to be interesting to watch is the smokeless tobacco ban. Did you guys see this? Yes. Smokeless tobacco, you're grandfathered in. We just got a big shipment of Big League Chew yesterday. And I was having to explain to my daughter this morning, this is how tobacco looks. And I'm like, but I've never done that. I've never taken some out of my, uh, you know, I've never dipped. I've never had that. And I, I was, I'm wondering, I mean, in the minor leagues, we've been around minor leagues. We still see guys chewing. Well, you know, College baseball, I see a lot more chewing than I To be honest, expect. I mean, I... In high school, yeah. um, my high you know my high school coach chewed, yeah. and there were players when I was 17, 18 chewing. Personally, I thought I never was interested, so I didn't do it. But I, I do think there's a filter down, even to the younger you know the younger ages. And you know if this helps, awesome. Uh, I thought it was really really um, a statement during the All Star break when, uh, right. when Tony you know Tony Gwynn and his death and you know, kind of unprompted players started to speak about it, how, you know, that made them get off chew. And I, I think that is something that, you know, you can sit and argue about, you know, these are grown men, they should be able to do what they want. But again, having been in youth baseball as recently as, you know, yeah. 10, 11 years ago and seeing it as recently as then and knowing that there are still 16, 17 year old kids out there who do do it. You know, it's not just the 24 year olds. It's, it's, the kids who are doing it because it's what the major leaguers do. Right. I'm not entirely opposed to it. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, the I, other I, thing with that is, is that this is just a continuation right. of, again, MLB, when minor leaguers, they do things very quickly because the minor leaguers, they just tell them, yes. you're being drug, you're going to do blood drug testing now. Congratulations. Yeah. Or, but they also put the ban in years ago that said, no, 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 we're, it's out of the minors. Right. And so now, it's had an effect. The re- guys chew, I think. The days. reality of it is, is I'm not saying that there's no minor leaguers out there who are, you know, sneaking a dip or anything like that. But the reality is, is that there is no one who, because this grandfather's in current players. It's the same thing. Basically, someday we'll have the last guy, much like we had the last guy who had the uh, one, you know, the no year uh, uh, batting helmet. Or hockey, the last guy who didn't wear a helmet, Craig right. McTavish. I remember that. You, yeah, you have that. But the reality is, is that there's no one who's reaching the big leagues now for the first time who's ever been allowed. Right. Or, who's ever been allowed. I can't think of anyone who still... James Hoyt, been... maybe. <laughs> no, he's still, he's still in the state. Oh, yeah, he just got grandfathered in. I forgot. But, is, is NCAA have a formal ban on shoes? I'm pretty sure it does, yeah. But, right. So there's no one among these players who have not been banned from using it throughout their minor league career. This is just a, a continuation of this. And so I, I do think from that standpoint, it's kind of almost easier. You can say that this is the union giving up something again, some freedom, because it's a minor thing, but giving up a freedom for their players. You know, it's a concession of some sort. But the reality of it is, is that they're giving up something that the players, legally at least, have not been allowed to do all through their minor league career. Either. And I guess in San Francisco, wasn't they passed a ban on smokeless tobacco in the whole city? I believe, um, uh, pretty sure it's San Francisco because I just remember Madison Bumgarner complaining about it. So, um, so yeah, he might be the he'll probably be the last dude. You know, Mad Bum yeah. like at, at age forty four will still be slinging it and still be chewing. And, uh, and that's how it's when, a player when, health issue to me. And you know, but I mean, when anytime you're trying to phase something out, that's how you, do it. you grandfather in the older players. And like JJ said, it, it'd be one thing if you know the minor leaguers have come up chewing for years and years and years, but because of various bands, if there's in the NCAA level to the minor league level if these guys haven't been doing it for the last seven eight years they're probably not going to just randomly start 
you know, besides, you know, there's still seeds, and uh, I still right. you know, go into Major League dugouts when I'm covering games, and there's the giant vats of bubble gum. You don't, yeah. you know, there's 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 substitutes everywhere, if you will, that I think right. a lot of players now see as that's my primary. I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, the debate over what flavor seeds you use is <laughs> more prevalent than I think uh, what flavor tobacco you chew in, in in youth and minor league baseball today. The other one that I did want to bring up before we wrap this up is is the uh, the move from the 15 day to the 10 day DL. That because I mean that's gonna be that's an that's a big, that to me is a big one that uh, again we didn't hear anything about until oh by the way we've done it but it was interesting we've already obviously already added the seven day concussion uh, DL that was established in part to encourage to make sure that players would report their concussions because you're only you may be only on the, on the shelf for a week right now we have the the ten day what stands out about the ten day to me is. For good or bad, if you talk about no, you look at what the Dodgers did this year with their roster and how it was a never-ending shuffle. I mean, I truly conveyor belt of players just showing up and then going away and showing up. What was the pitching change number they have? More than six hundred pitching changes during the year. I think it was. It was whatever it was. They they did have the most number of pitchers used in a season since the DL stint started being tracked. I believe thirty some odd years ago. It was crazy and. What this does, it's just further to me, is that you really, as you are constructing your team, coming into spring training, you aren't talking about, here are my 12 to 13 pitchers. You're really talking about, here are my 20 to 25. And, and thank God they didn't, uh, they didn't do the 26-man roster, yeah. because if they'd done it, that just would have been, would have been more a little more relief pitcher. And uh, I'm, I'm all for, I would have been interested in, Okay, in September you can you can have all forty guys on your bench, but you declare twenty eight or your well, roster was, for those, making it equal for both teams. Or you just have here's your twenty five for the day. That you when, can change it every day. You can change it every week. When whatever. I was in uh, Baltimore, uh, Buck Showalter discussed this extensively, and I actually I, I was along with the idea that here's the twenty five guys you use, and you lock them in per series. So for those three days, that would work too. this is your twenty five guys that you can use, and only those twenty five. And at the end of the series, you can swap out, you know, two or three arms, whatever you want. And then next year, here's your 25 guys you can use for that series. And there's something where, you know, he also proposed the idea that even if those guys, however, aren't on that 25-man roster, because they're within that 40-man pool, they still accrue the service time. So it solves both the service time concerns of the Players Association as well as the pace of game issues that we see very much concerned Major League Baseball. And just your integrity of a pennant race where one team has 29 guys on his roster and the other team has 37. You know, yeah. Or just you know, having games played in September with very different rules. Where a team can win a game because they can because of the roster manipulation and uh, lineup manipulation. So I actually, I, I would have thought it been interesting if they had gone to that. Clearly they didn't. But I do think that... You know, as we move forward and you look down the road, okay, they've, you know, fixed free agent compensation. Obviously, there's always unintended consequences we yes. learn later down the road. But now I'm interested in, okay, so moving forward, we're going to have this as our setup for five years. To me, the two biggest issues that are going to come up in the next CBA are going to be pace of play and, as we've discussed here, the, the draft issues, whether both international, domestic, and how they, whether it's figuring out the money, whether it's eliminating caps altogether, whether it's well, they want raising, to eliminate the caps, or, or raising the caps yeah. but you know, however they seem to do it. To me, I think moving forward now, 
those those are going to be the two core issues that are probably going to be discussed the most during this current CBA run. Well, the draft's still going to. I think there's details to go. Jason Stark reported uh, that the sides discussed numerous changes to the June draft. Those changes could include could include a revamped slotting system and trading picks. Details yet to emerge. I mean, the trading picks is a, you know it's a whole other it's a whole podcast in and of itself. But how, it'll many, really... how many tricks would a rebuilding Braves team play for? <laughs> and that's what I'm could. saying. I, that that well, is we've, a... we've already seen it with the international bonus slots. We've already oh, no, seen no, no, it. The Braves also traded. Yeah. Do remember Austin Riley and AJ Minter? Who they basically bought those picks. So <laughs> they those are two players that they acquired because they went out and traded for the few picks that you can trade right now. Yeah, those competitive. Well, those the competitive Blue Jays with Vladimir Guerrero, they engineered a trade where they right. sent Tim LaCastro and Chase DeJong to the Dodgers, in return, got some international bonus slots and used that money to go get Vladimir right. Guerrero Jr. So, so we've yeah. already seen it, and it would be interesting. I've always thought that the, the teams have enough assets. I, I, I think that's a Pandora's box. I wouldn't want to open up trading of draft picks. but you know. What, what I'd be interested to see is whether it would be more NFL-NBA, because in the NFL, picks are way overvalued. Randy Moss is worth a fourth-rounder. Yeah, uh-huh, okay. Right. But in the NBA, they're way undervalued, where you'll see you know, a first or a second traded for a journeyman. I think it'd be kind of fun to see, okay, which way would Major League Baseball veer? Would they be you know, uh, way too those, protective or not protective enough? Neither of those sports have other assets. They don't have minor league players. Right. They don't have 40-man rosters. And, th- and that's why baseball I think it'd be, does. That's, that's why, why it'd be interesting. Thought, it would be interesting. That's why I've always thought it doesn't need – I'm not saying that it would be bad. I just don't see the need for trading draft picks. I never have. I've never been convinced. Well, I'm not saying that it would be bad. They, I just don't see why it would be good. For the, the record, other part I of that is, is that the other part of it is, is that one thing that has changed now is the Trey Turner rule. Right. I do think that that does let some air out of the balloon. It went, before, it was something that you could not acquire a player essentially for a year until a year after he was drafted. Now that it's a you, you, it's six months. But the point of that was, I well, Dave Swanson went last year. The, right. The point of it was basically to keep a player from picking where he wants to go. Right. That that was the main reason. Right. But what I'm saying is, is that the fact though that now you can acquire, okay, yeah, you can't pick the player, but you, I, there's two things that jump out. Dansby Swanson obviously was being traded last year. Now on the international market, there's no such restriction. So we did have a player this year, Jordan Alvarez, first baseman, who was signed by the Dodgers. Yeah. And a month and a half later, for before he had ever played a game in a Dodgers uniform, he's traded to the Astros, who were one of the teams who were in on him. That does kind of mean, yeah, you can't pick your team like that. But at the same time, it does mean that you can essentially buy a player. Like, there's nothing right now in the international market. I guess the hard slotting may affect us a little bit. But there's nothing yeah. in the international market that does prevent a team from saying, from that doesn't prevent a team to talk about a loophole. You know what? We're up to our five mil. Exactly. We're at five mil. We can't sign this guy. You know what, Orioles? You have three million left. Sign that guy and we'll trade you. Exactly. Um, And a week later, we can trade for that guy. Absolutely. That's that. I promise you, that's a loophole that will be used if it is not fixed. I agree. No, I agree. If that's not if that's not one of the details, because again, uh, we saw a guy traded a month and a half later, right? And he was a two million dollar player under this. Would, for Josh Fields. Yeah. Not not exactly a... But a big uh, leaguer. Not a 16-year-old. A, a big leaguer. Right. I mean, a big league middle reliever that should be easy to replace. Should be lots of Josh Fields out there, but... So, but again, that is, that is well, a loophole that is already opening up. And this is where it goes back. There's always unintended consequences of any deal you sign, whether we're talking baseball, government, you know, business. I mean, there, there's always going to be some sort of, you know, 
event that maybe wasn't foreseen. And oh, it happens. And that's it, why you're going to see, you know, they'll go back and five years from now, and we'll see how they play but out. But no, that's how the they thing is, is when you say go back five years from now, that's the thing is, is that what stands out about this is that there's a lot of smart people in baseball. And as soon as this is finished, I, I always think back to 2012 and the draft, and like we're rolling along, and when guys get picked in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, we're always talking about those guys. Oh, we like that pick. Oh, you know, that guy, he really had an up-and-down season yeah. in Texas this year. I'm surprised that he went that high or whatever. And in 2012, all of a sudden we start hearing names that were like, I I, I, mean, I, I know who Tucker Donahue is. <laughs> that I, guy was a set guy as a senior. Why did he get drafted in the fourth round? That guy had a 7 ERA in yeah. 12 innings. Why is he being drafted? But and it's like, oh. For 100K, you can sign 10K, him. 10K, 5K. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah, know, that and was... so that, so those are the loopholes that, but again, this is one that is going to be. I will be interested. I think you, I think you peg the international loophole because there are they're, they're the every team, if you, especially a, if you can't trade these slots. If they're a hard cap, yeah. and you can't you can't acquire slots from someone else. I bet you'll still be able to acquire slots, but I bet that your loophole also will be available and mm-hmm. will happen. So I, the, the, and that's the other part. The good part to wrap up on is a lot of these details are not ironed out and not worked out. It does seem like a strange way to operate, but it also seems like it is standard operating procedure that they agree on the generals, uh, the, the, the sweeping the, the generalities of framework. framework, but not the uh, details. One of the things that Ben Bather told me was that the initial uh, uh, MLB uh, proposals on the international draft did not specify which nations would be included in the international draft. So it really that's does seem detail. like... That's, that's what I'm saying. So it seems like some of the th- details that you or I would think are essential... Those are getting ironed out now. So the framework, it's I just I, I still even though we've we've uh, critiqued small parts of the deal and picked it apart from what we know of the deal, and obviously more is to come. Um, in general, I think uh, it was it was a, it's just really cool for baseball that uh, this is not that big of a deal. It just really it used to be a very very big deal, um, and now it's not. And that's yeah. a that's I mean it's, it's important. But doesn't the, the world doesn't stop and the baseball world doesn't stop for this? Yeah, un- uninterrupted labor peace is as important as any. You know, all these things we're critiquing and discussing and possible loopholes. It's better to get a deal done that operates with you know mostly the same successful framework that has grown baseball significantly over the last twenty five years and keep it going. I mean, at the end of yeah. the day, that's the ultimate end game, and they accomplished it. Good for them. JJ, I don't think we get to mention this, but I know, you, I know we should go, but real quick, the Royals got screwed on this. I will just mention, <laughs> they got screwed because they have all their 2017 free agents, and May, their and value now, just came down, it, basically. It, it does, like, again, they, it does look like, as the details keep coming out, Jason Stark had a good piece, uh, BA columnist, you know, and as a, in addition to much more ESPN and all that, but he had a good piece where he said it does look like the lowest 15, the teams that receive revenue sharing, will still get compensatory supplemental first-round picks, essentially. That's, that makes it less more of a problem. Palatable. More palatable. That's still not the same, though. Right. That's not the a same as... A little less return when you lose that's a potentially not, a low cane or an Eric Cosmer or a Mike Moustakis. That's not the same, though, as the Padres having multiple first-round picks. Right. I mean, there's a difference between hey we got an extra pick at 35 right. compared to we got an extra pick at 19 or yeah, 23. 24. Yeah, the Potters had three of the what three of the first 25 picks this yep. year. That's so that does that does even with that being less of an issue than if they don't get that 
additional, you know, but that, that additional compensatory first round pick, it still is, it still is something where, yes, they, the, the Royals have Hosmer, Moustakis, Kane, Davis, Duffy, yeah. and then draw, then guys like Gerard Dyson and Jason Vargas, who you would not be giving qualifying offers to anyway, right. but you're still, they're still going to be free agents at the end of the year. So they're still major league players that you may not have the next year. Right. So I just wanted to throw that one in. So like Kansas City and Oakland, which Oakland's going to get less revenue sharing money now. Well, but see, here's the thing. And I actually think this was that was smart and it was good because Oakland is not a small market. The A's play like a small market team. But Mike Fisher, their primary they're owner, team. they're a small revenue team. They're not a small market team. The East Bay is one of the most booming areas in the entire country. Certainly. Money is absolutely everywhere. Their owner, their main primary owner, is the fourth wealthiest owner in Major League Baseball. Right. I'm completely okay, and I like a deal where if you are a team in a major market, you are not going to get revenue sharing just because you act like a small market team. And to be frank, you could do the same thing with Miami. You can do the same thing with San Diego, both of which are 10 of the largest, most populous metro areas in the United States with money everywhere in those cities. But because That's they said, have... I, I agree with you. Oakland is in a tough spot. And Their stadium, they, there's no question. Right, but, the, not just the stadium, but the whole state of California. You're a Californian. Where has there been a new stadium built outside of the Silicon Valley money of the Giants? Which is awesome. You have Petco Park in 2004. You have Staples Center around the turn of the century. They're building the Inglewood Stadium for the Rams. The, they, they, they are. It's no. There's no question. It is it's more not difficult but in California. Difficult. Right. It is more difficult. Some of that's just pure earthquake codes. Building anything in California right. is way more expensive. Requires a lot more regulatory uh, things just because of earthquake codes. Thankfully, but, the, the main, the biggest reason really has been that it feels like from afar that California has made it more difficult for you to soak the city or a municipality or the government. For money to build your stadium, and that has that's what the that's what the A's keep waiting for, and and, and the Raiders situation is still a little fluid, and right? And part, part of that was the California State Supreme Court decision, which affirmed uh, the governor's move a few years ago to eliminate redevelopment agencies, which had essentially become, you know, slush slush funds, fu- slush funds yeah. for private companies to take public money and build their private businesses. We we talked about this with the Cal League shift, right. and actually, I do think it's a small part of the A's thing. But you're right; I think ultimately, the A's, I think it's a good thing. Because it will it's get the A's them. off the off the goal and just do it already. Right. Pick one and stick with it. You know, pick, you know, pick not, a place. We're not talking about Kansas City, which is a smaller market. We're not talking about Cincinnati, which is a smaller market with a lesser population. The East Bay, because when you say it's Oakland, a wash. is is a wash with money. It's a wash with people, and we've seen throughout whether it's San Jose, San Francisco, even Sacramento has become a boom area. I mean, you're seeing. So much money, not just in Oakland proper, but in all the surrounding communities. And they're just, because of their own mindset and their own politics, they've decided, well, we're still going to act like a small market team. I think it's mainly Oakland is just like, we're going to sit here, we're going to wait this out until we get some public money. And so I'm glad that they're, if this spurs, uh, if this plus the ownership change spurs some actual movement with the Oakland A's where they get out of the house that Al ruined and they get into... A, a baseball first ballpark, and they stop saying, "Hmm, Josh Allen is really good. Trade him." You know, that would be good. I think that'd be good for all baseball. Bad for the Blue Jays, but good for baseball. So, yeah. uh, we have two significant stadium issues remaining in Major League Baseball. I think Oakland's going to be kicked in the pants to 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 fix there. So that would be that would be a good thing. That was a lot of a lot of CBA talk. Uh, again, we're we're talking about CBA right now. We don't even have. I mean, the yeah. CBA is. Doesn't exist yet. 
Yes, it's a memorandum of understanding right now. So we have a lot of MOA talk uh, on today's Baseball America uh, podcast. MOU. Understanding starts with a U. Yes. Sorry. And a lot of memorandum MOU of agreement talk. would be what you were thinking. I guess so. Um, understanding starts with a U. But uh, good stuff, guys. And JJ, what, what's next tomorrow? What's, what, what, what AL Central podcast? Got to get Lanana. He's yet. last one. Twins, twins uh, podcast. And then we will have wrapped up the AL Central and be moving on to the AL West. Um, although next week will probably, to be honest, probably be a lot of winter meetings talk. Yes. We probably we may take a one week break on the because we're gonna be all at the winter meetings and we'll probably talk a lot of winter meetings. Rule five fever. Rule five fever. fever. Hey, rule and the rule fever. we didn't even talk about the fact that the rule five is on for next Thursday. Oh boy. Here we go. I was saving it for the end. So for, for JJ and for Kyle, I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.